Did you really think you could destroy this ship? She's defied space. You've been to a place you couldn't possibly imagine. And now, it's time to go back. I know. The hell. Well, nothing. Amazon is aware. Reality is much, much worse. <laughs> Re-re-reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters! And yes, on this episode, we are traveling through space, less so fighting among the stars, and more for our sanity as we discuss Paul W.S. Anderson's 1997 Haunted House in Space film, Event Horizon. But first, Dan, it's been a minute. How are you? Yeah, it has, hasn't it? I'm doing well, John. And and how are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty. I'm doing pretty well. You were you were out of the country. You were in Spain. I was. Yes, I was on the continent. Well, not on this one that I'm currently on. I was on a continent. Um, <laughs> we're all so on a continent. yes. Well, welcome back to America. It's it's good to it's good to be able to record again. Uh, it's so funny because you know we're just shy. This is episode one hundred and ninety nine, and uh, so it's kind of like oh, couldn't even just close it out before we had to take a little hiatus. But uh, here we no, are. I know. It, yeah, it's been it's been so like you know. Oh yes, all right. We just need to get down to it. Just a hun- episode one hundred ninety nine, and you know, and then uh, you know, full disclosure, we were. It's it's Saturday, August fifth, right now. We were going to record earlier this week, but I have kids, and kids get sick. Yeah, John has kids as well. Yeah. So if it's, I guess, not one or the other, right now, uh, I, I've got both the baby, the the one year old. He's and not the a baby anymore. He's a toddler. I mean, he yeah, no, he, he's a toddler, but he also still just like, you know, cries randomly and wears a diaper. That's true. And he speaks his own language. He uh, There is some English in there and he does have some English words, but most of his language is it's a I'm you know, it's a language I don't know. It's a language hmm. with which I'm not familiar. I'm not going to say it's his own made up language. But you know what? I'm not going to project that. Well, I mean. Perhaps it's actually Latin and he could converse with the demon, uh, the space demons in Event Horizon. It could be Latin. It could just be uh, English backwards. So, yeah, so it's been a while. Catch catch us up on what you've been watching. Oh, what I've been watching. You know, I kind of feel funny talking about all the things that I've been watching since we are not that I am a, a member of the Writers Guild or SAG AFTRA, but we are recording this during the striking time where uh, members of those organizations are uh, not allowed uh, to promote their their projects. So I kind of feel funny about talking about talking too much about new things that are out or anything that, you know, is, you know, I'm going to say, um, well, I am a member of the Producers Guild and we, uh, you know, stand in solidarity. All right. I will talk about because also some of the things that I've caught up on are things, you know, that if people who have listened to this podcast know that I frequently don't have much of an answer to the what have you been watching? Yeah recently question and john frequently makes recommendations to me both uh, on the podcast yeah. and off the podcast 
So I can certainly reference some things that were that were that were made uh, previously. And um, it, would it make you feel more comfortable if I referenced them vaguely, but specific enough? You do what you're comfortable with. I you you are not a member of an uh, a guild or union that specifically right. <laughs> connects no. to the entertainment no. industry. Correct. Yeah. I'm going to start with the most recent recommendation you made to me was uh, to check out Yellow Jackets. That is in, that is a fact. So I've been working my way through season one of Yellow Jackets, which is a fantastic series that everyone um, working on should be getting paid their due and then some for. Absolutely. Yeah. There are some there are some things about it that I, I have to throw a little eye roll at. Part of the show takes place present day, and then part of it takes place in 1996, and it's yeah. set uh, in New Jersey, right. which is where John and I both grew up, and mm-hmm. um, you know, appro- approximately the same age as the characters. True, they're high school yeah. students in 1996, so that makes them slightly younger than me, slightly older than you. Anyway, the establishment of setting is so sometimes obvious like they had one there was w- one line in an episode that it, before I then had second thoughts about it I was just like oh wow that was like that writer is like how much exposition how much can I establish in one line because it was a line about about going to see Oasis at the Meadowlands yeah so and it's kind of like if you're from the 90s and from New Jersey, you know that, OK, that, you know, the it was known as the Meadowlands Arena before it was then the Continental Airlines Arena. And uh, now I don't even know if it still exists. I've still heard it being referred to as the Meadowlands. But I think that people who reference it as the Meadowlands are people who remember it as the Meadowlands. It's also in that okay. area of the Meadowlands. But it was it was the Meadowlands Arena, and then it was the Continental Airlines, and then I forget what it became after that. But anyway, you you felt like they were referencing it as that name just to further cement the time and place. Well, and also like the credibility of sure. we didn't just throw a dart like we we didn't just call it New Jersey. But like, they could have gone for the Garden State Arts Center. Right. Yeah. Well, I I don't know. Not yet. I mean, you got characters going to Rutgers and yeah. it, it's in a less I know Sopranos did, uh, you know, was kind of similar. But Sopranos, it always felt more natural. Sopranos now, also took place in like present day for when it was. Made. Right. Right, right. So yes. they didn't have to like also build in the credibility of what something had been called. At, we didn't have at to make, time. and then they like they they followed it up with a line about like, oh, she'll never get to hear Wonderwall again. So oh, yeah. it was like we're not just talking Oasis vaguely. We are talking very specific. What's the story? Morning Glory era oasis 1996 but it's funny because i listen to these lines and i'm like they sound so fake and sound so intended to just establish this you know setting but i'm like but wait a second like maybe someone would say that like uh i wasn't thrown by any of that no i well i just it's something that makes it just made me think and it made me think about like you know 
I'm like, yeah, it sounds kind of like almost hackish in terms of the writing. But then again, like, wouldn't a high school student in 1996 who was dealing with like, you know, the loss of a of a friend, you know, maybe say something like that? Not necessarily the loss of a close friend, but like someone they knew and just be like, well, this is what I knew about this person. They had tickets to go see Oasis because they fucking loved Oasis and loved the song Wonderwall. Yeah. So. Anyway, I just I'm just throwing that out there because I really have no other venue. I wasn't thrown by any of that, you know. I yeah. clocked it, but yeah. it's not like oh, I, was, I wasn't. Th- yeah, I wouldn't say thrown by it. It was just something that that made me, you know. No, if they really wanted to, if they really wanted to show their cred about being in New Jersey, they could have been like. Oh yeah, I just you know right before we got on the plane, I had a sloppy Joe, and they'll just be like, "Oh, did you have it with roast beef or turkey?" And then you know, kind of going into the fact that New Jersey, in one particular part, has a different kind of sloppy Joe than everywhere else in the world. Yes, exactly. Sloppy <laughs> Joes are just classier. Yeah. Anyway, that was good. I also watched the first season of Severance, um, mm-hmm. Apple on Apple. And was really intrigued by that, really enjoyed, um, yeah, really enjoyed that. Uh, of course, keeping up with uh, Righteous Gemstones. And I went to the movies for the first time since February 2020. Which, when, oh my God, blows well, my mind that you haven't been. Now, this is also, this is going to segue us into this. Uh, this is going to segue us into something that, that you wanted to talk about. Well, there are a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. Well, but this is all right. So anyway, let me I'll bring it up. And then if you, you'll I'm there's put an the order, there's there. an order to which I wanted to bring things up. John, I'm going to put the bait out there. Okay. If you bite, we'll go with it. If not, uh, don't worry. Okay. That uh, was when John and I and our, our brother Scott met up in Austin, Texas to, uh, you know, to hang out. Uh, you know, little did did we know it would be, uh, you know, our last hurrah before, you know, pandemic. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was some indicate we had some inclination of that. But anyway, uh, on that trip, we went to uh, one of the Alamo Draft House locations and saw the film 1917. And I, I, over the years, have said, you know, if that's my last movie in the movie theater, that was a good one to see. Yeah, and a, and a great experience as well. And I don't, I, I, there are two different ways that I, that I could see you teeing me up for some of the things that I wanted to talk about. Because one of them, and I'm going to, I'm going to do the more somber one second. The Got first it. being, okay, so you see uh, the movie 1917 in February of 2020 in Austin, Texas at the Alamo Draft House. I put out a book that you all can order on Amazon. It's in the link to it is in our link tree. It is called My Year in Movies, 365 Pages of Cinematic Exploration. And it is a journal for people to clock uh, a year's worth of movies. Whether you're watching it at home or going to a movie theater, and if you are going to a theater, there is a spot where you can uh, tape a ticket stub in there, attach it however you want, and it's a place where you can write down when you saw something, where you saw something, what your thoughts were, and who you saw it with. So uh, it would be fantastic if you all could go on our link tree in the show notes and we can also post it on our social media, but you can uh, buy it. It's just through Amazon and it would help us out a lot. Full disclosure, I've been unemployed since May, since early May. 
So uh, we are releasing this in August. And so, you know, to kind of keep me busy, I've been working on these little side projects, putting out things like these little books. And, uh, you know, all help is appreciated and it helps support the show as well. And and what a fun way to kind of keep track of movies and 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 it doesn't it, remember it doesn't it's not like it's not like by buying this you're committing to watching a movie a day for the for a full no, year but you can no, challenge this yourself just, you can make that happen and you know what there's I don't think there's any real rules to this if you want to be retroactive if I want to go back in and put in when I saw 1917 yeah. I want to add that in sure absolutely it's, or actually John it would be perfect for me to start my journal with the first movie I've seen yeah, since then. That's true. Which, which we'll be talking about on an episode An upcoming soon. episode, yeah. So anyway, I'm going to throw it out there that I saw that I, I saw a movie and I saw another movie. I saw two movies in the theater in the past week oh. plus because um, I saw Oppenheimer. Right on. The other night. So, and, you know, of course, it, everybody should go and, and, you know, if you're interested, see it, you know, and draw your opinions from that. I, for one, I I felt that there was the potential for for perhaps for not more, but uh, a little. Have you seen it? John? I have seen it. You have seen it. So we, we could certainly talk about it off, uh, yeah, off quote unquote off air. Or perhaps we'll have an opportunity to talk about it on an upcoming episode. Yeah. Who knows? You know, if we do Fat Man and Little Boy, I guess. Sure. The only other movie I can think of that was made about the Manhattan Project and Oppenheimer, because the movie in the Manhattan Project is not about that Manhattan right, Project. Right, right, right. Anyway, so that's... Three things tie this last weekend to that trip to Austin. Right. The second, hold on, uh, because also on that trip, and this is what was so bizarre because the, you know, it's like in threes. So, because on that trip, that was also the last time that I saw in person um, one of my my best friends. Uh, he's been a guest on on the show, talked with us about Back to the Beach, Ray Dijon. Oh, cool. So Ray Dijon and his family were in they were, were in Seattle for a few days. So um, this past Friday, the day after I I went went to the movies for the first time since Austin, uh, you know, saw Ray for the first time since Austin. And well, then, well, also I, uh, you know, we talked a lot on the episode, the Back to the Beach episode about Connie Stevens. I happen to see Connie Stevens in an episode of Murder, she wrote, that I watched the other day. So look well, at that. Of course, John. Wow. You're mur- you should have, that should be a, a, that should be another journal you should sell on Amazon. Just uh, like the, I watched Murder, she wrote, who were the guest stars I saw? Oh, and I've been oh, putting wow. together like bingo cards and stuff like that for my you watching know experience. I didn't even intend, intend this, but Back to the Beach provides us another connecting point here. Oh, absolutely. It does. Yes. Yeah. So we're there. So on our uh, our trip to Austin, that's when Dan and our brother Scott and I uh, got together and recorded an episode of this podcast that was focusing on the cinematic and television universe of Pee Wee Herman. And uh, uh, anybody who's listening to this podcast probably is aware that Paul Rubens passed away this past week. And um you know, also made an made an appearance in Back to the Beach, and not that we need to go into a, a huge 
diatribe because we did that on our Paul Rubens episode. And so we just encourage everyone to to listen back to that if you want to hear us talk a little bit about that. But much like so many people in our age range uh, who, you know, had any similarities to us growing up, you know, just Paul Rubens made such a huge impression and was such an influence in so many things that we did. And uh, he will be greatly missed. Absolutely. Like impacted a generation, saw so many, you know, social media tributes, friends of mine posted, you know, just kind of talking about their memories, whether it was like, this was one of the VHS cassettes that we own in the house and we watched it constantly or watched, uh, you know, Pee Wee's Playhouse every, every morning. Um, I thought back to seeing the, the Pee Wee Herman show. Um, mm. Yeah, I, know. On, I didn't see that live on on Broadway mm -hmm. and what an experience it was to see that in in person as um our fellow New Jerseyan and hometown friend Brian Farrell said it it was like Saturday morning on stage or it was like Saturday morning all over again mm -hmm. and it was yeah, such a privilege to see. And he, he came out afterwards. Uh, it was the first night of previews that we saw it. Oh, wow. And, you know, it's like I didn't get a I, I took a bad picture of him from a good distance away. But, you know, he came out in character yeah. to, you know, greet people online. And even there's like a restaurant next to the theater where uh, people were uh, some people were eating uh, at tables outdoors. I remember it was it was October. So it was still fairly nice out and he was going over to the restaurant and he was like going up to the windows and it was like you know just the joy and knowing also the what Paul Rubens had been through in his career and the um you know defamation and oh yeah the everything in, in the early 90s that really you know more or less disappeared and you know, had, you know, made appearances here and there, small comebacks. And, and Paul Rubens was great to see in, in, in other characters. He's the best part of the movie blow. Yeah. But, but just to see him as Pee Wee Herman, it was just, there was so much joy and he brought so much joy to so many people. Well, what's also really nice is to go on streaming services, which by the way, they need to pay uh, actors and, and writers fairly. Uh, but on the streamers where it says like people are currently watching or this is trending, you see like big top Pee Wee and you see uh, Pee Wee's Big Holiday on Netflix. And mm -hmm. it's like, I'm so glad. I mean, big top Pee Wee, if... Pee-wee's Big Adventure didn't exist, then that would have been such a great movie. <laughs> uh, but I feel like a lot of childhoods were maybe ruined at that time. So, but uh, but Pee but it's but it's such a fun movie, and it's so weird, and it's so him. Taken and also, on Pee -wee's, its own, yeah. And Pee-wee's Big Holiday is so much fun. I think about the opening scene where the dream sequence with the alien Yule all the time. And, oh. and uh, it's such a fun movie, and it was so amazing that that happened. I can't read, and lately I've only been reading his name in not the best context, but Joe Mang Mangiello. Mangiello. Uh, I can't read his name without thinking of how Pee Wee says it in the movie. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> it's so good. Well, I want to get to Event Horizon. I do have a couple things to to add. A, going back to our episode on Slapshot that we did last, uh, I don't have anything to add about the movie, but we did talk about the fictitious Sports Hall of Fame. That is a real thing <laughs> on that last episode. And yeah. uh, I you know, was thinking a lot about who else deserves to be in there, and I came up with a little list. And uh, I have to start that list off with a duo that is, uh, you know, core to the the heart of this uh, podcast. But uh, Doug Dorsey and Kate Mosley from The Cutting Edge, they should oh, definitely yeah. be in there. Uh, I and believe, then, didn't you mention that on the last episode? I don't think so. No, we up? talked about The Cutting Edge, but in a completely different uh, oh, we, okay. not, not for the fictitious sports hall of fame, but, uh, also in the vein of, uh, figure skating, there's Chaz Michael Michaels and Jimmy McElroy from blades of glory. Yes. Uh, you know, Billy and Sydney from white men can't jump, uh, Scott Bakula's character from necessary roughness. I looked it up. It's Paul Blake. I mean, that was, a, I love watching the movie a ton when I was growing up. Uh, Matt Saracen and Tim Riggins from Friday night lights. Oh uh, yes. Maybe even Lance Landry, uh, or Landry. You know, because we love our Jesse. Plemons. Does murder does what does does murder does manslaughter keep you out of the Hall of Fame? Listen, we don't have to talk about season two. Uh, Wait, what, would you put Smash in the Hall of Fame? Like, where oh, do you stop? I'm the Smash Man with the Panthers. <laughs> yeah, you know, I forget about Smash. He was great, uh, but he was no Saracen or Riggins. I did love no. the Smash. Um, but then there's also uh, Ernie McCracken and Roy Munson from Kingpin. Oh yeah. If we're talking about ones that are from fake sports. Harry Potter, heard of him? Oh, <laughs> if we're all talking about fake sports, how about Coop from basketball? Oh yeah, definitely. Or Reamer. Uh, and then I, uh, I don't remember what the name was, but uh, James Conn's character from uh-huh. uh, Rollerball. And, oh yes. And if we're gonna also talk about fictitious sports, potentially we talk about pod racing, in which Anakin Skywalker was a legend. <laughs> So anyway, I just figured wow. I'd uh, I'd add those to the for the running for uh, the fictitious sports hall of fame. If anyone doubted John's claims of unemployment, that <laughs> that list should have. Well, Dan, that brings us to Event Horizon, and we oh have had a lot of time. In addition to you being out of the country and. Uh, and me having a little extra time on my hands from being unemployed, I did a lot of extra homework for uh, for Event Horizon. But to begin, should I just go for a synopsis? Yes. Okay. After being lost in space for years, a massive space station called the Event Horizon reappears near Neptune. The crew of the Lewis and Clark picks up Dr. Weir, the designer of the Event Horizon, to help find out what went wrong on board. The Lewis and Clark crew discovers no survivors in a brief audio recording that indicates serious turmoil. As the crew collects supplies for the return trip, Dr. Weir pays a visit to the ship's core, an artificial black hole that gives the event horizon the ability to bend space-time. But what they don't expect is an evil aboard the ship that feeds on the crew's guilt, destroying them from the inside. So, Dan, <laughs> was this your first time watching Event Horizon? No. Okay, so no. you've seen it before. What What are your thoughts about this movie? Um... <laughs> All right. Is it a quote unquote good movie? Do I rank it up there in the sci-fi echelon with Alien? No, but I enjoy it and I, I enjoyed watching it. I feel like it's just, it's campy as hell. 
And I like, you know, I like the cast and it's kind of like it's got actors that I'm like, hey, I'm yes, I'm happy to see you in a lead role, Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne. And yeah, so Sam Neill plays Dr. Weir uh, and Lawrence Fishburne is the commanding officer, the captain of the Lewis and Clark. Uh, Other crew members from Lewis and Clark are played by Kathleen Quinlan, Jolie Richardson, Richard T. Jones, uh, Jack Noseworthy, and uh, Jason Isaacs and uh, Sean Pertwee. Yeah. Something I noticed this time, the casting of Lawrence Fishburne, because the film, I know it gets compared a lot. It's like, oh, it's the the shining in space. It also has an apocalypse now vibe to it. Yeah. Which Lawrence Fishburne, uh, sure, that was his uh, His, film debut. Yeah. Big break. (laughs) Sure. And also, uh, this is pre the matrix Lawrence Fishburne and uh, there you can draw a lot of similarities at least in you know film filmmaking styles and uh technologies that that were kind of done where this event horizon is kind of right on the cusp where things uh with computer graphics are taken <laughs> from one level to the next where yes uh you know you have movies that do it really well with a certain style of of commuter uh, computer generated imagery such as like Jurassic Park and then you have movies like Johnny Mnemonic and The Lawnmower Man uh, a little earlier and then uh for me I think that the uh the computer graphics in uh, Event Horizon Although they did do a lot with practical effects, I feel like the the quality of the computer effects, at least watching it from a twenty 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 three from a twenty twenty three lens, uh, takes away from the practical effects. I feel like it uh-huh. makes the practical effects look worse, you know. And then, of course, as we, like with especially the Matrix, we kind of break into a new uh, a new style of of effects. It's interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, different inspirations there and, and different. Yeah. I mean, like the, the Wachowskis are, uh, you know, pretty bold and you know, re- revolutionary filmmakers. Like not all of their, not all of their films are, are, you know, amazing, but like you've got the Matrix Speed Racer, Speed which, Racer. Yeah. you know, not successful at the time, but man, like that's a movie that I would love to see in a theater again, because even watching it on a like TV at home was pretty was pretty stunning. Yeah, well, whether it's a hit or a miss, the Wachowskis always put out something that's going to be interesting and they take risks. Sometimes well, yeah, it's, they pay it's, off and sometimes they don't. It's bold and they say like, look, you know, whatever we're going to do, we're we're going to do this in a way that is plausible. Like they go all the way. They don't half-ass it. That's true. And I I have to say, so Paul W.S. Anderson, who is very unfortunately named uh, considering other Paul Andersons and uh, the Wes Anderson, the W.S. Anderson, you know, it's like, oh, there's yes. so much that it's just like, oh, this guy is just getting lost in the shuffle, but, you know, really made his name with like the Mortal Kombat movie. And then later on did like the Resident Evil movies. And uh, I know that for a lot of people, Event Horizon is in their, in their top horror films. And uh, I can understand why it doesn't do it for me in that way, but 
you know, for those who, who this appeals to, I'm glad that it exists. And, uh, you know, talking a little bit about the, the homework that I did, because I, when I first watched it, I was just like, uh, I, this is so exhausting. I really can't believe that we're doing this. And (laughs) then I, I watched it again with director commentary. So Paul W.S. Anderson and, you know, it was so long ago. I forget who the. I think it was just a. It was maybe a producer who was also on the commentary. I wish I could look that up quickly, but I feel like it was a lot of patting themselves on the back for the way that they did things and for their practical effects that they did. And uh-huh. it was also recorded a long time ago. It was recorded twenty years ago. So at the time, you know, a lot of the stuff still looked a little current. You know, right. we've become so accustomed to watching things where the visual effects are more seamless than they than they were in the past. Uh, you know, talking about some of the movies that recently came out, you mentioned one of them earlier uh, that begins with an O and ends with a gigantic explosion. And a movie that came out the same day as that, famously, you know, yes. those are are laddered as having little to no CGI, and it's. I feel like we're we're in a place right now where uh, practical effects are are king, and uh, there's been such fatigue from superhero movies and things like that, where people yeah. are just acting in front of green screens or you know, giant monitors that have a fully animated background. Whereas now when you can film something on a real set with practical objects and practical effects, it's recognized a little bit more. And also, you know, <laughs> recognizing, um, you know, other new movies like the Mission Impossible movies and, you know, Dead Reckoning. All, of course, there's CGI there, but a lot of practical effects. and right things like that. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, kind we of, know Tom Cruise really is jumping off things and flying okay. things. This since this is not promoting it, I will say that uh my big one of my big issues with Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is that all of the marketing for that movie was all about the stunt. And it's almost like they created the movie stunt first and then worked around the stunt. How do we get to this how do we create a story to get us to this stunt him on on motors and and honestly like uh compared to a lot of the other stunts he's done in mission impossible movies this one didn't seem all that special to me i'm sure that it was the most dangerous technically of them but you know when he's jumping around on the tops of buildings and things like that i'm a little less impressed because you know we've seen him do such such wild stuff where i mean the storylines are really fascinating whereas this one i you know was not yeah crazy about uh yeah right yeah so anyway and anyway so but back to event horizon back to event horizon Uh, i haven't seen it with the uh with the commentary, but I can imagine that just because like the, this movie was famously kind of rushed when Paramount pushed Titanic back to yeah. December, 1997 and they had a hole in their summer. Uh, so hole. yeah, they had a, you know, and uh, they were like, it could be a portal to hell. And unless we find a good movie to release. So they put out uh, Event Horizon, and it was 
I think that, like that's the famous story behind it is that it was Rush, and I feel like Paul uh, W. S. Anderson feels whether or not that this would have been the case that he could have produced a much better film. Well, the the story about it. First of all, they think that they made an amazing movie. Well, I'm however, sorry, I mean it it being it being rushed to theaters. I don't think came up at all. It was more about how the studio made them cut out a lot of time and how if he was able to keep in 30 minutes that he had to cut out, it would have been a better movie. But otherwise he thinks it's an amazing movie. Oh, right, right, right. No, but that, no, that's, I mean, I'm saying that's, so I'm saying, I mean, he, like people, like audiences, it would have been better received, I think is kind of the gist that I I get from him. Yeah. I mean, it, it was well received. I mean, we're we're talking about it now. It came out such a long time ago. Uh, well, it it, it picked has up a cult a, following. Sure, yeah, and yeah. so understandably. So uh, to talk a little bit more about some of the additional homework that I did, I also watched uh, the Disney movie, The Black Hole, which oh. was the first Disney movie made like for adults, and. Uh, it's a very similar movie. And Paul W.S. Anderson fully acknowledges the similarities that this has to that movie. It, it's kind of like a combination of uh, Solaris and The Black Hole. Dan, have you ever seen The Black Hole from 1979? I used to watch that movie ah. a lot. I remember renting. I remember at our grandmother's house in Palm Springs. I remember like renting the VHS and having that like big clamshell case that the Disney, like Disney live action movies had. And, Oh, we watched black hole a a lot. So, okay. So how much do you really remember about that movie? I remember, I remember that there's some kind of freaky stuff. I remember like a big scary robot named Maximilian. Yes. I remember there was kind of like a cute little like, like R2-D2, C-3PO ripoff. Right. Because this is 79. This is when everybody's ripping off Star Wars. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, who cared though? So (laughs) I, so I watched the black hole and this is about a ship that is going to this lost spaceship that has reemerged where there is in this case one survivor and he has gone completely mad we we come to discover and i'm not i hope i'm not spoiling a movie from 1979 but like we find out that he has essentially turned his human crew all into like cyborgs and to serve his mission and essentially what they do is it goes into a black hole and it's a portal to hell like it's it's the same movie, it just done oh. a little bit differently. It's oh wow. Yeah. So I event they horizon. They don't bring Sam Neill. He's already there. He's already there. Exactly. And uh, I forget uh, the character. Is that it, is, is Maximilian Shell? Yes. It? Which is so like weird because good. his name is Maximilian, and Maximilian is the name of the robot. It's so weird. Yes. Yes. That was what always got me confused, and I was like, "Am I remembering this correctly?" But yeah. yes. And and Solaris, which is another movie that's about people who go into space and they see things and they have these visions and are kind of haunted by them. Well, and, and about a lost uh, partner, a lost spouse. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which uh, Event Horizon, Sam Neill's character, you know, he's he's haunted uh, and and feels very guilty about the the death of his wife who took her own life and. 
you know, this this being that kind of comes through this artificial black hole on the event horizon, it feeds on guilt and it it makes the people in its path uh, have these hallucinations and it makes them go completely mad. Um, another movie that I watched uh, in preparation is the one other movie that describes uh, what a black hole is by folding up a piece of paper and sticking a pen through it. And that's Interstellar. Yes. <laughs> Which I felt, I mean, I really love that movie. I feel like the way that they, even though it's a very, I mean, of course it's all, fic- they're all fictionalized, but the way that it goes into how a black hole works and the way that it bends space time and things like that. Uh, I mean, for interstellar, it's like the missing component is love or whatever, you know, and the fifth uh, element. though. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that in order to really analyze event horizon, it really helps to watch all these other movies that folk that deal with black holes and um and and approach it from different ways and event horizon which takes more of a horror approach than all the others like you know it's a haunted house in space uh it also has so much religious imagery the ship the event horizon uh you know parts of it are directly modeled from parts of you know the notre dame cathedral and it's it's very gothic. heavy-handed <laughs> yeah it's a very gothic space thriller yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, very. There's like the stigmata. Uh, I mean, yes. It, yes. Oh, uh, it is. Yeah. Wild. Uh, I'll tell you one other thing that bothered me about this movie. There's a character whose last name is Justin. Right. And they refer to him only as Justin. But it's like I've never heard somebody with the last name Justin to the point that it's distracting when they keep on calling this one person Justin. Well, and it's also, it it would be okay if it was someone who didn't look like their first name was Justin. I, absolutely. Well, his his name is F.M. Justin. They Like, he doesn't even have, like, a, a first Frank name. Frank Michael Justin. I don't Frank know. Frank Michael Justin. Sure. Frank, <laughs> Mi- Frank Michael Justin. Well, what's also know. funny is, like, uh, Smitty, who's the pilot, is W.F. Smitty. Well, Paul W.S. Anderson. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Jason Isaac's character is DJ, which... Uh, I don't know, but Jason Isaacs I thought was pretty great in this. Oh uh, yeah, I always I always like Jason Isaacs. Like he's always entertaining. Yeah, he's so. great. He's great. Uh, I I did feel like Richard T. Jones's character, even though Lawrence Fishburne is one of the leads of this movie, it's like there's still room for a token black character, and it's this guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't he survive? Uh, yes, he does. Yeah. So against all odds, <laughs> he survives. I'm, like bucking he, he kind the, of, yeah, the bucking the, 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 the trend. Yeah. 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 And Jolie Richardson. Jolie uh, Richardson. Yeah. Survives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or, or do they, I mean, or, the, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's kind of one false ending and then, but when it goes to like the not, hallucination ending uh on the commentary they say you know but that's meant to lead you to lead you to believe that maybe it's it's come back with them and that's just like uh, oh really because i did not get that from that i got that as she was it was just a another way to get us a scare 
Right. It's it's well, it, like the Sigourney Weaver. Um, yeah. At the beginning of Aliens. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that uh, Aliens, as far as horror movies in space goes, I, you know, for me is well always going to be the top. Um, I mean, talking about a movie with incredible practical effects. I and, mean, if we're talking about horror movies in space, yeah. Alien, it, there's like Alien and I can't think of what else. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that also when a movie like Alien, well, with Alien, you know, the the style of like H.R. Giger's designs for everything uh, is way more effective than the way that things were designed. Although I did appreciate, I know that a lot of what... Um, Event Horizon does kind of pulls from 2001 um, as far oh, as the yeah. spaceship design. But I did think that the look of the like artificial black hole was kind of yeah. cool. I thought I liked yeah. that. I like it's got some it definitely has some cool visuals. Yeah, it has some some cool uh, effects. It's got some stuff that's like shitty because and you know like you were saying before there's the there's like kind of the digital effects that were not quite where it's mostly where like things floating in space like the zero right. gravity was, stuff i feel like it was a lot after like star trek 6 the undiscovered country <laughs> which had like when like the blood pellets like floating in zero yeah. gravity. And I feel like after that, it was like, oh yeah, that was impressive. We're going to do that too. <laughs> so that happened in Event Horizon. Star Trek Six is fucking amazing. I don't know if uh, I saw Star Trek Six. Oh, when they say like the even ones of the Star Trek series, like two and six are legit awesome. Well, I know I I've seen two. I know good. I've seen four, The Voyage Home. Yeah, but that, I don't that know one's I've kind of a six or eight, right? But I feel like there are so many moments from it that are more iconic. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but it's all just like yeah, the gags. Anyway, uh, anyway, we're, we're talking about Event Horizon, and it's so very uh, mid to late nineties in its in its casting. Jack Noseworthy. <laughs> yeah, well. You know, Sam Neill, who's fresh off of Jurassic Park, you know. At this point, he's not that, and by 1997? Well, when this movie's being made, I mean, it's still pretty ah, fresh after right. when after that came out. It's still, if you think about, okay, so it's 2023 now. If you take a movie from 2019, it's still pretty fresh after a movie yeah, from 2019. No, no, that's well, and I, I was thinking, I was like, well, Lost World has already come out. Lost World comes out the same summer as yeah. Event Horizon. Yeah, so and Lawrence Firstburn, who's fresh from, but even like, what's love got to do with it is actually it's the same year as uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah, let's see. Let me take a look at his filmography and see what's going on in '97. Uh, Hoodlum. Then before that, we have Fled, Othello, Just Cause, Bad Company, Higher Learning, Searching for Bobby Fischer, What's Love Got to Do With It, 93. Yeah, so um, looks like he had nothing coming out in 94, but 95 had four movies come out. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot there. You know, like, they're, they're not like, you know, the, the like A-plus list stars, but like, these are actors with a lot of uh, credibility, Yeah, like, Sam Neill, you know, Jurassic Park, 
yeah. you know, biggest box office hit. Like, I don't think Lawrence Fishburne ha- at that point had really had any major box office hits. Like, but yeah. you know, Boys, Boys in the Hood. Uh, What's Love Got to Do With It, uh, Oscar nominated for What's Love Got to Do With It. Um, You know, like you said, two years after this, he's got The Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. Kathleen Quinlan, hot off of Apollo 13. And uh, uh, Breakdown, which comes out the same year as as this. You ever see Breakdown? Breakdown with Jack Noseworthy? (laughs) That sounds like a talk. It sounds like a, it's like breakdown of the Jack knows where. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen it a lot recently on one of the streaming services and I uh, think about watching it, but I haven't actually watched it. Worth checking out. I mean, I, I love seen Kurt it Russell, years, but Kurt Russell, JT Walsh, man. Yeah. JT Walsh. Yeah, I'm, I'm also looking at other uh, Jack Noseworthy movies. And first of all, I'm seeing that he was Eric Dittmeyer in the Brady well, Bunch movie. in the Brady Bunch, yeah. yeah. So mad, also, mad respect there. Uh, uh, U571. U571, but also, and uh, I, I've been thinking about this movie more lately than any other time ever, but the, uh, the Pamela Anderson film Barb Wire. And I've been thinking about it only because <laughs> the Barbie movie... And Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, should be right next to each other. Oh, but, but I wonder if Barb Wire impacts that. I wonder how the how the alphabetization alphabetization uh, oh, al- alphabetically imp- yeah impacts the because that oh. would so Barbie would go after Barb and Star, but Barb Wire is would the is the ampersand right between them. Yeah, so it's like that would ruin that you know that one two punch if you're looking at a blockbuster video shelf yeah no and you know as as an english teacher here yeah no the alphabeti- alphabetization would definitely throw barbed wire in the middle there but i i gotta say uh, could be a fun triple feature though also barb and star go to vista del mar was one of the movies available on my last uh flight and uh, although i did not opt to watch it I just had a moment where I was like, I can always watch Barb and Star go to Vista. I could always watch Barb and Star go to Vista Zomar. Absolutely. That's one. And I've may, I may have mentioned it on this podcast before, but while I was watching it for my first time, halfway through, I was thinking, I wish I could watch this again from the beginning, having never seen it again. And I hadn't even finished the movie. Yes. And last thing I'll say about it, wish I could see that opening night in a crowded theater that one came out did that come out during that was, the pandemic that was pandemic yeah, yeah. So i don't even know if it got a theatrical release i think a small theatrical release but still like anyway so funny uh all right so event horizon uh <laughs> yeah as you could tell i'm really trying hard to not talk about event horizon is there all right so then well let's get down to it john so let's get down to all it. right so of course you know there the people always ask was there going to be a sequel and uh i don't know if there was if if there was ever really a sequel in the book so i don't know what what would you do what like what you're you're given well, event horizon I was I was looking at and this is uh, just on their Wikipedia page, but there is there's a section for future in the Event Horizon Wikipedia page, and I'm just going to read that. So there's potential films. So in December 2011, so quite a long time ago, Paul W. S. Anderson and Jeremy Bolt stated that there have been ongoing discussions to explore additional movies that would expand the Event Horizon story in the form of a prequel and a sequel. 
Potential stories to be developed include the following include following the first crew aboard the Event Horizon and their mission that led to their disappearance for seven years, as well as a continuation film detailing the events that followed the rescue of Lieutenant ML uh, Stark, TF Cooper, and Ensign Baby Bear Justin. Wow, I can't believe that I I forgot about the whole baby bear aspect of Justin. Oh, yes. Yes, baby bear. <laughs> By uh, October 2020, however, after years of no development, Anderson stated that he had not returned to the property in any continuation because he did not want to take away from the experience of the original film. He didn't want to ruin any childhoods, Dan. In August no. 2022, <laughs> so one year ago, Anderson reiterated that talk of a prequel and or sequel is always ongoing and stated that uh, what has kept the projects from being a reality is his desire to preserve the original film's ambiguity. I would say your director's commentary ruined the film's ambiguity. Right, right, yeah. So there's uh, also, just real quick, there's also a television series section that says, in August 2019, a television series based on the film was reported to be in development by Paramount Television and Amazon Studios. Adam Wingard will direct the series, in addition to serving as executive producer alongside Larry Gordon, Lloyd Levin, Jeremy Platt, Gordon, and Levin previously held producer roles in the original feature film. Uh, and Adam Wingard, for anybody who doesn't know, is, uh, you know, from Blair Witch, Death Note, and Godzilla vs. Kong, uh, you're next and the guest. So a lot of like horror kind of stuff. Right. Uh, so, you know, on this podcast, we talk about what we would theorize could be done with, with this property. And I don't know for me, a re edit. So here's a bit of the, the mythology of this movie that we did not talk about. There's this 30 extra minutes, this director's cut that did not get released that Paul W.S. Anderson claims would have made the film a lot better, in his opinion. And uh, the only remaining uh, evidence of this was at one point on a VHS tape that had quality too poor to transfer. And to that, I would say going back in and doing kind of a remaster to the original film. And uh, that could include replacing some of the computer animation that maybe is a little or a lot outdated. Uh, I think just cleaning things up, doing a restoration of it uh, would be, I think, appropriate. Um, And if there's anything that can be included that got removed with reshoots or with a lot of the newer technologies that we have to do it digitally in a way that wouldn't take you away from the experience, I think could be appropriate. I do not care for a prequel or a sequel or a television series, although I could see how a television series could work. I think that the the whole idea of a, you know, a space station that has an artificial black hole could be a really interesting location for a series. Oh, yeah, agree. And I think, you know, especially if you frame it, you know, as like, you know, in that horror sense, uh, you know, I think people will will go for it. Yeah. Especially if you go for that, like, you know, uh, teens, uh, early 20s audience, I think. 
think you'd go for it. Yeah. Um, well, I, yeah. you know, you were talking about yellow jackets before, and this is a mm-hmm. show that's focusing on teens and the supernatural. And, uh, that, I mean, if you could, if you want to consider like the supernatural and, uh, the, the religious supernatural that the, uh, that event horizon deals with, I, I think that going too far into religious mythology, might be a bit of a turnoff for general audiences, but you never know. Well, right. Yeah. Well, you can, you can, you know, work with that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you'd focus more on, um, <clears throat> you know, maybe not putting a name on it and calling it hell, but, you know, focusing on the guilt aspect. And it's something like it's a, it's a black hole, but that brings people's guilts, like it manifests them or something. Yeah. You know, which is what happens in the movie. <laughs> so, and that sounds fine. Like, I think that would work. Really, what I would like to see done with this movie is I would love to see some, like, student-run theater company on a college campus or, like, some improv troupe, but not, like, not some New York, not like, not Upright Citizens Brigade, but, like, just some, like, a bunch of college kids who watched this movie really late at night and, like, adapted it for the stage. Not, and mm-hmm. this is not, like, no, not Event Horizon the musical, but, like, a really, like, shitty, like, cardboard sets, but, like, clearly meant to evoke the movie something that that would probably draw people's attention to the movie uh but basically you know kind of acted out but using really low budget uh of effects and things like you know flashlights and people yeah 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 you know i i feel like that's that's the best way i can describe it is give it the like college improv troupe treatment that'd that'd be fun i mean it's a it's a cult movie and i think it could work you know but not like not as a rocky horror where you have the movie on enough people acting it out but i'm saying like recreate everything very cheaply and intentionally cheaply i'm not talking about the high school version of alien that looked like legit good yeah yeah right Uh, (laughs) Like, yeah, I am talking about, you know, cardboard refrigerator boxes to build your sets and like flashlights and Michelle like, Gondrified flying. Yes, exactly. Yes. But not as sweet, sweeted as they would say in Be Kind Rewind. Sweeted, sweated. Have you ever seen Be Kind Rewind? Uh, quite some time ago. Yeah. Well, they call their versions of popular movies that they they redo using all like cardboard boxes and stuff the sweeted versions right yeah. yeah yes yeah so i think that's really the only thing that would like raise my eyebrows if i saw you know university of washington like you know on this campus oh they're doing it at midnight and yeah like you know our stage version of event horizon be like mm, i'm yeah. interested in that yeah yeah, that sounds like fun. I like that. You know what sounds like fun, John, is what we have planned for, for episode two hundred. 
I, you know, for episode 200 and, and, uh, a couple episodes after that. And then I feel like as we go, I, 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 we didn't talk about it earlier, but your suggestion for, uh, a, you know, you've got the journal for your year's worth of, of movies. <laughs> yeah. But if you, if a, if a podcast was meant to be weekly, a year's worth of weekly episodes right. yeah. mapped out. Yes. Literally. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll get to that in a few episodes. We'll talk about that more in a few episodes. But yeah, oh, for I'm episode about that. for episode two hundred and a, and a few after that, uh, Dan, do you mind if I kind of explain no. a little bit of what we're gonna do? Please. Okay. So on this podcast, we talk about you know cult and classic movies and how we would theorize they could be brought back. Now, since we started this podcast like f- over four years ago, there have been. Uh, there have been new movies that have come out on the movies that we've covered. And so we're going to go back and revisit some of the movies that we've talked about where there has been a a new film or a TV show or something like that that's come out. And uh, we're going to see what we had suggested and also talk about what actually was done and see where things may have intercepted a little bit, see if we you know, we're pleasantly surprised with the way that things turned out. And we're going to start off with uh, one of our first episodes uh, actually was was Bill and Ted. So we're going to do uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music. And we're also going to talk about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny because we did an episode just on the Indiana Jones franchise. So uh, it's, it's exciting. Yeah. It's a lot of fun and looking forward to you know, revisiting a lot of those, like you said, it's been four and a half years. Uh, it's wild since we started up. So wild, Crazy. yeah. Because you know this is something that we try to do weekly, but life sometimes happens, and so what yeah, can and, we do? I mean, on and and man, you think about the last four and a half years, there's been a lot of life happening, a lot in, of life happening in that time. Yeah. So, but I'm you know grateful that we've been been able to keep it up, and I'm excited to hit episode two hundred and two hundred. Looking Love forward it. to revisiting some of our little f- favorites. Well, Dan, this is going to be an easy one, but as you head to uh, Neptune's orbit, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. <laughs> <laughs>